Hello, welcome to episode number 176 of the Apolog Podcast. I am your host, Simon Head. Today's podcast is brought to you by BetterHealth.com. You can have affordable, private, online counseling anytime, anywhere. It's very cheap. And you can get your seven-day free trial when you enter the code word APOLOG when you go to www.betterhelp.com slash APOLOG. It's good. This is the time of the year when people get a little bit a little bit sad because we have, we're ending Christmas. Christmas is over. Spring is coming. It's not here yet. It's going to be here in a couple of days, but it's still a bit dark. And people have, you know, they have, everybody's got problems. But you need, if you need this help, it's, I would strongly suggest it. If you even think just a little bit, maybe I need something to talk to. Try this out. Betterhelp.com slash Okay. Thanks all to Amazon shoppers for shopping on Amazon. I really appreciate that. You can also support my affiliate program by going to applelog.ca slash Amazon or applelog.ca slash US Amazon. Or you can go to applelog.ca and click on the banners on the right-hand side, locate your country, and you can bookmark all those links. And every time you shop on Amazon, use those links to shop and you will be supporting the show and it costs you no extra money. If you want to support the show on a monthly basis, why don't you try Patreon.com by going to Patreon.com slash You can pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting and gas fees, and that you can cancel at any time. It's very cool. If you want to buy a t-shirt, go to Apple.ca slash shop and buy some music there as well. This band I used to play in called Foursquare. We have a discography, and you can buy it for $20. You can go to iTunes. And subscribe, rate, and review the show. Give it five stars. Search Apple Log in iTunes, Apple iTunes, and you'll be helping out the show that way too. It helps with ranking. You can like the show on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash Pod or follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666. You also can get in touch with me. If you have a thought or, or a comment, go to applelog.ca slash contact. Get in touch. It's not just for Russian scammers or Nigerian princes to give you money anymore. I'm getting a lot of spam lately. If I haven't guessed that already, I don't know. Maybe I haven't. Today on the show is Brian Wallstrom, and he is the lead singer, lead piano player of a band called Gods of Mount Olympus. They have a new record out, and I didn't get a player sample, so I can't play it. But you can go search them out on Bandcamp and go listen to their music. This band, uh, Gods of Mount Olympus, have members of Noise for a Name and Unwritten Law, and you can you can listen to that when you go to iTunes. Okay, so this is here he is, Brian Wallstrom. I hope I'm saying the last name right. From the band Gods of Mount Olympus, on the Apple Podcast. Yeah, hey man. Hey Brian, right? Yeah, yeah. How you doing? Nice to meet you. I don't know if we've actually even met in person. Yeah, I was trying to recall. Um, I don't think so either. Where are you based out of? I'm out of Toronto. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've been there uh, um, probably three or four times. But it's, uh, 
to do flares. There's a couple different places down there. Um, it's like the one week stuff. Okay. Yeah. With who? Sorry. Uh, with like the one week records uh, tours and uh, I think Scorpios as well. Played there with Chris Cresswell once and JK. Oh, okay. Yeah. Love it up there. Though. It's super fun. Yeah. Canada's sort of like a. It's it's a bit of a utopian uh, society for Americans to come up and play. A bit like Europe. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So you um. What's going on? No man, I'm just uh, I'm I'm really I I listen to the record, and uh, it's an EP, right? And yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's like it's everything I like about pop and punk. So it, it blends nicely between the two. I mean, I I think the description was something like Billy Joel, like hopped up Billy Joel or something like that. Yeah, yeah, but I got I got that uh, description from I, I feel I have to claim that one uh, because. I, I, I kind of play in a lot of different types of music scenarios. I do uh, like piano bar and then I also sing in opera and some off Broadway stuff too. And I just kind of like started uh, trying to explain it to people that weren't necessarily punk rock fans, what it was. And they just kind of stare at me going, what the hell are you talking about? And I go, all right, it's like Billy Joel on crack. And they go, oh, okay. <laughs> you know? So that's kind of where that came from, but I don't know if it really makes much sense. It totally uh, does. It totally does. Did you ever? Uh, yeah. Did you ever get into Ben Folds and Ben Folds Five stuff? Yeah, definitely. Um, love Ben Folds, and also uh, that's kind of the first thing people started telling me when we started playing live shows. You know that that, that there was a parallel there, so um, that got me kind of more interested in Ben Folds. But I think my primary influence has always been Billy Joel uh, in terms of piano. You know, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Did you um, have you ever seen Billy Joel live? I've never. Yeah, uh, I've seen Billy Joel live three times. I think um, my mom took me when I was super young. It was the first record I had was a Piano Man record, and um, I was like, I don't know, four years old. And my mom took me to see him when I was like twelve or thirteen in San Diego with the Elton John uh, duo. So it would be Billy Joel, Elton John um, together. I remember that. Uh, yeah, yeah, and stuff. So, yeah, I felt pretty stoked to see that at such a young age. And then I actually saw that same show several years later. Um, and then I took my mom to see Billy Joel two years ago. My best friend and I took our moms to see Billy Joel at the Hollywood Bowl. Uh, I think it was two years ago on Mother's Day. Oh, wow. So super fun. And uh, hopefully my mom won't listen to this podcast, but it was pretty fun because... Uh, there was people smoking weed all around us, and I think she might have even snuck in a puff, which I've never seen before. So it's it's cool screen. <laughs> it's it's uh yeah. I mean, I I how old are you? I'm 36. Yeah, so you're 10 years younger than me. So I remember Billy Joel like in the late 70s into the 80s, and a lot of a lot of people into the 80s they kind of got beaten up, you know, like when it came to like coming out of the 70s going into the 80s. Billy Joel right. kind of stayed true. Uh, Elton John kind of went funky, but uh, yeah, it's funny how the seventies. Yeah, Billy Joel didn't get funky until the nineties, I think. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like some of his really newer stuff was like, where'd that come from? But I mean, it's still great. It's just not what we're used to. You know? Yeah. Do you find like if you followed something for so many years, like your whole life, you kind of give him a pass, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's only, especially in the evolution of an artist you're even if it's good what you and you know what you're doing is good it's you you kind of get bored of that style no matter what yeah so we hope we hope as fans that they stay true but 
you never know what's going on in someone's head and what they really truly want to be doing. Sometimes it's weird. Sometimes it's way better, but you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. After you do that many good records, I think you can pretty much have license to do whatever the hell you want. Absolutely. The, you know, and the fact that you sort of, you appreciate him as a musician, as a person, the music comes then as well, because you've had your whole life to, uh, to sort of like, to appreciate it. So you kind of, like, I find that with bands and groups and things, like, if I really like them my whole life, if they put out utter shit, like, I can still kind of get into it because I still appreciate that they can kind of keep doing it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and Billy Joel specifically, it's funny. I've had this, like, it's a weird admiration because I think as a person, if I met him, I don't think I'd necessarily like him as much. Um, just reading his biographies and kind of watching some recent documentaries that have come out about the way he treats his band and stuff like that. It's, uh, but then the flip side of that is his lyrics are so honest and, and easily can, you can easily connect to. And, um, I really admire the stories he tells and how he tells the stories. So it's kind of like, it's a bizarre, <laughs> you know, being a fan of an artist like that. But, um, yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I've met people who are like, I appreciate their music. And then when I get to meet them, it's like, nah, I don't know. But the, <laughs> the exact opposite happens if I don't really like the music and I meet them as people, I like them. I seem to sort of allow them to come into my uh, into my world. You know what I mean? Like I let them in because they're good people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you start to go, oh, you know what? I don't know. It's funny. Yeah, the music sounds a tiny bit different if they're cool people. <laughs> but, you know. To each their own, it's like, you know, you can't really expect everyone, you know, to, to relate to everybody and, um, you know, everyone's had a different circumstance. So yeah. I just try and focus on the music side of it. But. Totally. Yeah, the politics and all that other stuff is all supposed to be subsidiary. It's it's what the message is and how the music is brought to you. And, right. and it, you know, that, the other thing, exactly. I mean, the same thing is like if it's brought to me in a, in a, a sort of like a an honest way, I, I also appreciate it more. You know, I can hear it and I understand it. And I can associate, yeah. like, it's tough when you hear, like, even Billy Joel, like, or even Elton John that have been doing it for so many years that kind of sometimes might get tuned out of what normal life is, like, right? Like, you remember, like... Oh, yeah. Oh, know, yeah. Bon Jovi used to be, like, oh. the blue-collar rocker, and now he, he's got frosted tips, and he's, like, he has no idea yeah. what common people do. It's a bubble. It's the whole, you know, price of milk thing. It's just, like, you know... <laughs> after a while it's not even their fault really it's just i mean some people go out of their way to live that very you know down-to-earth lifestyle but you know i don't know i can't i can't criticize i don't know what i'd be like if i had the success a guy like you know like those guys have had i mean but billy joel plays madison square garden still to this day like once a month and flies a helicopter from his from his estate to the show and probably never even talks to anyone that he's never you know met before on the way there it's just it's such a different thing you know mm-hmm. and um it's cool to, to think about but at the same time it's like wow that's a, that's a different life yeah it's sort of a uh it's a bad situation but a great situation but a super crazy like we i couldn't even imagine like i've been really following now like the sort of like the the sort of the end of kurt cobain and in his sort of like how his life was and is, you know how it would be maybe if he was still alive or things and you know it's just such, such a crazy you get yourself in this crazy thing and like if you always wanted it your whole life and then all of a sudden it, you get it it's like oh no mm-hmm. <laughs> you know 
Yeah. Oh no! What's I have that to. One do... movie? I, there's a movie I used to watch when I was a kid. Um, oh God, you devil! Yeah. Um, and it's totally about that. It grapples the. Uh, I think it was George Burns was the God and the devil, but it's about a guy who sells his soul to the devil to be a rock star, and he flips spots with like the struggling musician and becomes the the rock star, and then the rock star guy becomes him. And so it's just the whole thing is just, <laughs> it's pretty funny and corny, but at the same time, it really does show you like, you know, it's, uh, I know a ton of people that have had this like blue collar type life in the music industry and they're so happy, you know, to have a regular nine to five job and don't put all the pressure on, yeah. you know, what, what kind of success they had in terms of touring and records sales and all that stuff. And it's just way better. I think from a, you know, it gives you the opportunity to write the kind of music you want to write versus what you should be doing to sustain a career. Yeah. So yeah, totally. Yeah, like the only question I had coming into this is, are you a have to do it or want to do it type of person <laughs> when it comes to music? God, I've done I've done both. Um, I I was doing I, I was supporting myself during college playing piano bars and stuff like that. So I'm I was able to like you know, develop a skill that would you know, allow me to do only music. And I did that for a while, you know, and I bounced between the piano bar gigs and like I'd do operas every once in a while. And then, um, you know, go on a tour with Joey Cape and, uh, you know, and do that stuff for a while. And I kind of floated around, but I, I met a guy, um, which, you know, is from Canada, probably interviewed him before. Um, KJ Jansen. Oh yeah. KJ. From yeah. Six Dig it. Yeah. And he, the minute him and I sat down for the first time and talked, I, I just, he's like one of the greatest ever. And he explained to me his philosophy on music. And it kind of taught me something I already knew, but it was that there's no shame in having two lives. You know, you can do, you know, he's a guy that's worked for the government for since he's 18 years old. I mean, the guy's like about to retire. He's been working for the government for so long and yeah. had such a great job and he loves it. He works with kids and, um, and, just knowing as a fan growing up of chicks dig it when I was a kid and having this, you know, image of what they were and how they lived and then meeting him and understanding that he had this other life, um, and a family and a house and, you know, a hard worker and a respected worker, uh, at his normal job. I'm like, you know what? That's awesome. I'd totally rather live that, you know, and be able to not worry about the paychecks and worry about paying rent. I, I want to be able to do both, you know? And so, the, the 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 only troubling part of it is that it takes a little bit longer to do a project, you know. Um, yeah. And everyone in our band is uh, full time workers. You know, Paul works. Um, he's our drummer. He works in Hollywood as a set dresser, and then Steve works in a radio station. And Matt, um, I shouldn't know quite. Sure. Oh, Matt's a graphic designer and has a couple different jobs. And so, you know, we all. It's like when we get together, the practices are very focused because we don't know when the next time we are going to get together. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's the only downside of it. But so to, to answer your question, yes, I do have a job and I also, um, play music on, you know, when I can. Yeah. It, there's something about the starving, struggling musician, but that's a lifestyle thing. And sometimes there's more to life than starving in the back of a van, touring a hundred shows, you know, in, in one tour and, yeah, you get to appreciate the touring part, but only for like the first week. The first week, you're like, ah, oh, this is awesome. I'm on tour. 
And then the second week's yeah. like, oh, really? I got another eight weeks of this to go? Oh, shit. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's it's pretty taxing. I mean, I, I should say that up front, I believe that everyone should do that for a period of time. I agree. Just to like, you know, it's like a rite of passage, you know, and understand how to um, live that lifestyle because if the off chance somehow you do become successful and you need to do that, you should at least have some experience doing it. Otherwise you're going to get punched in the face. I agree. The the lifestyle. Yeah. But you know, once you become, I I don't know when I hit like 30 or 31 or 32, I was just like, this sucks. Like (laughs) I, I, I I need like some stability. Well, you know, People, it's it, that's a crazy time of life. Like twenty-seven to thirty-two is a time that you can make or break your your life, your career, anything you do in life. After thirty-two, mm-hmm. you've kind of set your 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 uh, your brain's fully developed. Anyways, I mean, twenty-five is when your mm-hmm. actual physical brain is fully ready to go. If you haven't wrecked mm-hmm. it with drugs and alcohol, but. But, yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if mine's fully there yet, but, <laughs> but when, or if it ever will be. Yeah, but when, you, when you've when you hit that, I find there's, there's, a, there's a generalization here, but it's a, it's a very common statistic, in my opinion, from speaking to people who are about the same age as me, is around like the age of 32, someone started going, you know what, I don't want to sleep on the floor, I don't want to sh- sleep in shitty punk squats, or I want to... I want to live life. Totally. And it's funny, be- a lot of it is because it's what their parents did and their parents have like a stable sort of stability to them or, or that they like, I, they, they spent their whole life trying to get away from stability that when they now, mm-hmm. they request, they look back at the, you know, as older people and go, that's not such a bad life. It's not bad. It's not giving yeah. up. Yeah, I think, I think it's a, it's definitely a mixture. It's good to have that, you know, experience and that kind of like, you know, leather skin about it. And, uh, you know, you've you've done enough and you've had enough hardships and slept on enough floors that you're grateful for having a bed. But at the same time, like, I don't know, as an artist or as a writer, you know, you, you need to have some like comfort and insulation to be able to do what you really want to do. when you're constantly moving around and struggling you're focused on paying rent versus writing a good song, you know? And I yeah. kind of got sick of that sacrifice, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, a do or die situation. Cause if you don't write that big song, you're still starving. Like you're still, you know, you're still, yeah. and you know, yeah. when you say we well, can't write uh, blues in an air conditioned room theory or all that shit, but it's like, it's true, <laughs> but that's a do or die situation. Yeah. You're either going to do it or you're not. And, and you know, totally. you got to need, you need to hedge your bets a little bit, you know, and you have to be happy with life because sometimes being happy with life allows you to write happy songs and have perspective and understand like content. You know, I'm, I'm a firm believer and I hope that this is like a common thing is that when people get older, they kind of get better at what they do. And that needs to be appreciated, especially with like modern music. It needs to be, I think it is. I think we've turned a corner a little bit. Mm -hmm. Do you agree? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I think just the whole frame of what it means to be a musician, especially given the economy of it all, it's totally changed, you know? Um, and unfortunately for us that grew up in the nineties, we got to witness this insane, like, uh, I don't want to call it a bubble cause it still exists, but an insane growth in, in, um, of, you know, especially like the, the punk rock world and all these bands were just living their life and, you know, all over the, you know, traveling all over the world and selling records and they could be sold. And now it's kind of like, it's become more of a realistic, um, you know, not everyone is going to go out and join a band anymore because there's just, it's really, really hard to do that. 
um, which I think is a good thing in general, you know, um, yeah. because the people that are really, really focused and, you know, want to do it for the right reasons are going to, you know, have success in it. Yeah, it, it can't be. Want to be a bass player and party? They're going to end up doing whatever. Maybe be a EDM DJ or something. I don't know. Totally. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If it was easy and everybody did it and they succeeded at it, then the bubble would burst. So it has. You need some mm-hmm. difficulty. You need some hardship to sort of to get to that point. You need to work at it because, especially with punk rock, good work pays off. Douchebags don't stay yeah. around. They get to go away and get their jobs in offices or wherever they want to get jobs. That's fine. I have no problem with that. But I would rather people Mm -hmm. that still work. I still, I speak to people almost every day who still, who I've known since the early nineties who started in punk rock, you know, and and, and these people aren't Mm -hmm. necessarily always just doing punk rock. They're doing tons of other things. Like there are like they're running industries and they're, you know, they're, they're maintaining things that adults do. And, And that's through punk rock because of, it's just yeah. the, it's the ethic. It's how people got kind of got along, you know, as we were kids. Yeah, it, it, it's so it's so true. I uh, it comes up all the time, especially in like the corporate setting at, at work and stuff. You know, so much of that that I always thought, and at least going through it, I was like, oh, this was just the part of years, but uh, eventually, like, I'll grow up and do something real. But the truth is, that's where all of the lessons were learned. I mean, like how to treat other people, and it, you know, and also watching what's going on in the news, especially in America with like the gun control issues mm-hmm. and the sexual harassment issues and things like that. To me, I, I kind of like, I was talking to my wife about it last night. It's like, it's funny. We grew up with this education in punk rock. We've been knowing this stuff and talking about this stuff for a long time. This is finally reaching the mainstream, you know, um, as a valid issue in trans. My wife, uh, sings in a, she recently got back from Alaska. She's an opera singer as well. And she was singing in a, in a, in an opera called as one. And it's a, the, um, uh, about a transgender, uh, person who go, kind of goes through phases and, and grappling with that whole thing. It's a beautiful opera, great story. And it's like, I felt great to know that, you know, we've been c- considering those issues for a long time. Through yeah. Lyrics and stories and punk bands have always been, um, the first kind of groups to talk about that on a, on a high level, you know, which I love yeah. having that background. Yeah. A yeah. resource to go to, you know. I was speaking to somebody, uh, in a, at a, in a, like in a, during a dinner break, um, somebody who was in their early 30s, and I spoke, I said, you know, we, as in the 90s, we fought for equality. And he goes, well, there's no such thing as equality. I said, well, what do you mean? Because equality, he says, if without diversity, you're never going to get, I mean, without without equality with with equality you don't have diversity and i was like mm. thinking about that statement think okay we all need to be our own self and our diverse and our wherever our creed gender um political leanings we have diversity i get mm-hmm. it but i think he missed the point when i said equality was about everybody being treated the same and mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. seemed to be almost like a slightly offended by that statement because who are you to tell me that I'm the same as you? It was, it was a weird comment. Right. <laughs> Got weird. Yeah. What you, like, what do you think yeah, about that? Uh, I mean, the difference in terms there, I guess, or the definition of, you know, but uh, yeah, I would agree with you. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I just didn't want to, because if I said, well, because you started getting into the nuts and bolts, like, well, I'm taller than you. So therefore I'm going to get jobs that, because I'm taller and that makes me uh, different than you. 
I said, but mm. we're not talking about gender or age or height. We're talking about equal, having a fair shake from beginning right. to end. And I, I just, yep. I would rather fight for equality than diversity. I mean, does that sound weird? Does that sound horrible? No, I'm following you for sure. I, I think it's like, uh, I don't know who I was talking to recently about why we, inst- oh, it was my uncle. We were talking about, you know, it was at the, I think it was a holiday dinner recently. And he was saying, you know, why we have to institutionalize certain, um, you know, why the government should say that this has to happen. The equality has to happen in the workplace because in general, I think people won't follow up, you know, and they mm-hmm. won't do it. And companies won't do the right thing if they're able to make a better decision, a decision that's based on, you know, economics versus like what's um, fair and true. And so that's, that I think we're all fighting for that. And why, you know, that's why it's institutionalized in our government and we have to keep fighting for that, but also why we talk about it all the time. And, and mm-hmm. stories and in lyrics and, and at least in our world, you know? Yeah. Well, I, that, we should probably talk about your band. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure. That was good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, uh, no, I. Now, when does the podcast start? Oh, oh yeah. So I'll hit record now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Good to meet you. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Brian. No. Um, um, so, recording this, where where are you? It says you're based out of Florida, but are you based out of Florida? Like, where, where are you actually based out of? Wait, where did it say that? It's said in this. Uh, uh, bird Attack. Oh, Bird Attack. My bad. That's my fuck up. It's yeah, bird, bird attacks out of Florida. In Florida, and actually, that's even inaccurate at this point because they recently relocated to Los Angeles. Uh, okay. So, um, but yeah, I'm based in San Diego, yeah. um, and pretty much the band is kind of like technically based here. Paul is in Los Angeles, and Matt lives in like somewhere crazy north of Riverside. Felon, I think it's called. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. And Steve so you- actually lives right down the street from me. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So you're all based in that sort of that that Southern California area. Um, so, mm-hmm. so when you uh, when you recorded, where did you record this? So we did the uh, drums at Big Fish Studios, which is in uh, Encinitas, kind of a local uh, studio by where we are, and also we've done a ton of awesome records there, um, like Racket from the Crypt and No Night, yeah. and I think Blank One Eighty Two did Cheshire Cat and Dude Ranch there. But uh, we just did the drums. It's got an insane uh, room for recording drums. And so we only did the drums there. We did the drums in one day, mostly live takes. I think Paul did about three or four takes of each song. Wow. And we all played with him, but we only we only kept the drums and did some kind of editing on the fly. But for the most part, what's on the record in terms of drums is what he played in the room uh, in a day. And so then we took that hard drive and um, Steve... Uh, took it. He works in a, a radio station, and so he uh, night, you know, around eight o'clock, I'd show up, and we'd work on piano and guitars in his uh, in his studio at work, wow. super late night. So we'd record on um, piano and, and guitars. Steve engineered all that. Steve is a producer as well, so he kind of like took the reins on that stuff um, while we were working on the you know instrumentation. Mm-hmm. And then we did the uh, we did the vocals and um, bass at Studio West, which is in Rancho Bernardo. Just another studio that um, I've worked in a lot and felt comfortable doing. They got good mics and good amps, and mm-hmm. so we did the rest there. 
very uh, piecemeal and very like, you know, just threw it together, you know, uh, as, as we were going along. So yeah, kind well, of unconventional. A, it's a good, we're in a good spot for that to happen where because you, you, it was a time when you have to go in the studio and you couldn't go anywhere else. And then they had your stuff and then you, you had to use, you know what I mean? Use everything that was there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know. we were very much like past the football kind of thing, you know, like we all are familiar with pro tools on one level or another. So we were able to kind of work on it when we had time, which made it, you know, we didn't have a deadline or any pressure in terms of when we should get it done. So I wish it had gone faster, but at the same time, you know, I think it worked well the way it came out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, the problem with that is that you have too much time, and the the good thing about it is that you have too much time to do it. And, and um, <laughs> yeah, totally. it's always. A, I have my own recording studio, and I know exactly what you're talking about. I started recording something with some friends a year and a half ago, and we just started vocals mm-hmm. like three days ago. So it's a, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a damning thing, but I f- it's a interest. I've always wondered how in if bands could really want to go into the studio. Because or into their space with nice mics. I think Propagandi do it sometimes where they just go in and record off the floor and then they'll put it on like extra tracks or whatever. And it's bands right. that can sort of pull that shit together and not have to worry about wizardry is uh it's a pretty special thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just that just comes from playing together a lot, you know, and, yeah. and playing live a lot and you know, being able to reproduce that sound. Yeah. Um and this was this 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 particular EP was very much a uh, like we were not only recording the band but we were trying to discover what the band was. You know, <laughs> we didn't have anything to base it off of, so we were just you know it sometimes we scrap some ideas and trying to develop what this thing was. And now now I think the next one will be easier because we know what our sound is and we know what we like about it. We know what we want to change, but for the most part, there's something there to point to and say this is. Yeah. Yeah. That was difficult before. (laughs) Yeah. And you're you're trained as a musician, like you're a musician. Um, a lot of people it's it's I speak to some people who couldn't really play on their first couple albums. Like they couldn't just do it. They didn't even know how to play. And then they learned how to play Mm -hmm. and then they learned how to write songs and then they became good at the it at what Mm -hmm. they do. And I I play in a band now where we hardly even practice and then we'll go to record and it's like everybody kind of knows what they're doing. And that's mm-hmm, a better mm-hmm. spot to start on than sort of like making mistakes while you're playing your instrument. That's, yeah. It's almost like a... Well, it's, it's definitely le- less expensive for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> totally. But, uh, you know, yeah. Hey, but there's something charming about that too. Like I love, you know, one of the bands I always think of in those terms is Hell Effects, you know, because early on you can just tell how crappy players they were, but it's so good. And still, like there's something charming about it. And, um, you know, then you can see the evolution. Like every record, like, whoa, they've gotten better. They've gotten better. But mm-hmm. when you come right out of the gates with everyone as like a seasoned musician, it's a little bit different. You know, it's like, you know, uh, you don't have that element of like, oh, I'm rooting for these guys because they're young kids that are just learning how to do what they're doing. But um, you know, at the same time, it's it's way more fun to ha- to work with people that are really good at what they do because you don't have to worry about that stuff. You don't worry about saying, oh, that's a when it shouldn't be an app or that you know talking rhythms it's like oh, here's an idea let's play it down boom it takes two seconds versus teaching them how to do that <laughs> you know? oh yeah so yeah I guess that's the, the flip side of it and the language the communication between each other is it's more refined as you because if you're on the same wavelength yeah. it's really i i've because I, i've recorded bands pretty much my whole life and 
bands come in and you can tell they don't like each other but they have to do what they're mm-hmm. doing because they don't know any other way to, they don't know any way out. Yeah. So, but yeah. I, you know, and I, since I started the podcast, I've been talking to people who do what's like, I use the loose quotation side projects, but a lot of the times that it's good to start fresh and, and sort of speak to people in a new, that you know and like and trust. And it gives you perspective mm-hmm. to go back to what you originally done. You've done like your band, your full-time mm-hmm. band, whatever Mm-hmm. Do you like, um, mm-hmm. do you, I mean, do you still do opera stuff? Believe it or not, I do. I do. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I recently did, I mean, it comes up if there's an opportunity that I've wanted to do or something where I'm like, okay, I've, I've always wanted to do that role or I've always wanted to go to that place. Then I'll, I'll do it for sure. It's, it's unfortunately, it's one of those things where it's, you have to stay trained to be able to be a viable opera singer. You know, you can't just take a three year break and get back into it. Yeah. So there's certain things that I'm just not even able to do anymore. Um, when I was, you know, in my late twenties, I was doing like full roles, like Don Giovanni, a 300 page opera, and yeah. you know, three hours long and all that stuff. But now I do like concerts and I was recently in China, um, doing, I sing in Mandarin, which is kind of weird, oh, but wow. it's just something I picked up, uh, I worked with this guy named uh, Hao Jiang Tian. He's a bass singer at the Metropolitan Opera, but he's kind of a champion of bringing, you know, um, lyrical Mandarin as an viable opera uh, style. Mm-hmm. And so he trained a bunch of us from, you know, Western singers to go over in China and sing like with the Western style of composition, but in Mandarin. And oh. so I did that uh, recently. I- I've probably been back to China about five or six times. Um, and the most recent was uh, on a TV show. <laughs> I think it just broadcast uh, last week for the Chinese New Year. But um, yeah, it's it's kind of wild. So I do I do that stuff. Um, I love doing theater when I can, but it's just it's tough. That's one of those things where you really have to sacrifice your time to get into a role and get into you know um, that lifestyle. And I just unfortunately, it's one of those things I had to kind of minimize. You know. Yeah, in community theater is a is a funky thing because they're they're all we do where I work at a venue I work at we do we do two Chinese operas a year and we do uh one or two musicals really? a year. yeah one or two musicals a year and uh and it's in uh, I mean the the Chinese operas are like long they're yeah. long now are you talking about like Peking opera like nope the super or well, with like, the the really high pitched women and the yeah yeah mm-hmm. yes that's the yeah, the yeah yeah okay and it's so just to be clear that's not what I do <laughs> okay and that's a totally different skill uh that's like traditional Chinese opera and I what we do is we take like the lyrical style of like Puccini or Mozart or something like that and we put Mandarin over it you know oh okay um, yeah it, so it's a different it's a different style of composition that stuff that you're talking about oh my god that's so hard it's hard it's so hard, hard to listen to they can do that it's a hard thing yeah, to no kidding. I mean it's it's cool uh, I wish that there were like more breaks and maybe shorter condensed versions but yeah it's, I've seen one or two of them in Beijing and it's like Wow, this yeah. is intense. <laughs> it, it is it's super intense, yeah. and I've done monitors a few times at the other place I worked at for this, and they were all on lab mics, and it's not fun. It's not fun because they they do yeah. you know there's 14 labs and there's 100 parts, so uh, you're yep. <laughs> constantly you know figuring out what's happening, and the the story isn't a story that we're really we don't know, so it's very hard as a crew member to sort of like try to follow along. 
and uh right yeah, right yeah we did one where we well, kudos for you guys to sticking with it twice yeah. a year that's pretty yeah. Well, we have a very strong Asian, actually, where I work, it's uh, is a very strong Asian population, and it's uh, it's a very successful actual run, and they bring like real people over, like from from there to to do it, and it's sure it's always well put together, very bright, very brightly lit. <laughs> That's definitely a good way to put it, bright. <laughs> yeah, very bright. So yeah, yeah so when yeah. you uh, yeah, it's it's I like. You know, when I speak to you, I, I like the fact that you can compartmentalize your music into different sections and, and creativity paths. And that's, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it's tough to, to juggle. And uh, do you see it one day all kind of coming into one stream or is, is it is it you like keeping it separate? I think, I mean, I, I've thought about how if there was a way I could kind of like streamline everything i'm doing but the fact is it's not even so much about the music believe it or not the way i look at the music is very similar i mean when it comes down to it it's all within you know the framework of a 12 ton musical style and um when it comes to content like the stories and lyrics and messages all can relate you know if, if you look at an opera like you know um uh lemon city figaro it's about a guy who struggled with power you know and, and he was a servant whose master took a you know like wanted to have first rights with his uh, you know his um, bride to be and just grappling with the whole status of of you know where you were as a, as a servant versus master and stuff like that and so a lot of that is related i think mozart would be a punk rocker if he was around today i guess i should say yeah and so um and a lot of those guys that lived in that world were very much you know from the same origin that we come from you know and so uh granted they had more training probably but in terms of music but you know the mentality was the same and so that stuff i have no problem like relating it's just what it is is the actual audience um doesn't really understand you know it's when i go from one thing to another uh you know especially if i'm doing an opera or working with you know classical singers it's like totally foreign the idea of like being in a punk band i mean they don't they don't dislike it or anything they just go oh my god you know it's it's really hard for them to understand that lifestyle you know and then vice versa um you know funny enough the opera or the punk rock you know community totally kind of welcomed the opera thing more than i thought you know joey cape always has me do like some opera stuff well not always but occasionally when we're drinking a bit on stage he'll have me do some opera stuff and and i'll do like a rendition of beer battles and it always gets mm-hmm. a good response but I, I i don't know if those guys are gonna go out and see like you know lava lamb or anything but still it's like it's it's um you know it's an interesting thing uh but i don't know if that answers your question but nope um, no i yeah. i got that's definitely it's funny you said figaro actually we also have we do uh three operas a year too so we're doing figaro actually starting next week and we do oh, nice. three ballets. In Italian or in, uh, in English? In uh, Italian. In Italian. Nice. With super cool. titles and everything. So those are the, the, right. the pain in the ass to hang, but that's what we're going to do. And uh, yeah, I've worked, car- I've done a few where I used to work. I've done a lot of operas like uh, Carmen. We've done uh, Don Giovanni. Um, uh-huh. uh, oh, what's the one with the statue that falls over at the end? Um that's horrible. That's Don Giovanni. That's Don Giovanni. That's Don yeah. Giovanni. Uh, no, no, no. It's the yeah. One. Well, the no, no, no. 
that that's he he is a stat the father is the common notorious is a statue but he comes to life is that the one you're talking about? no it's at the end it's it's like set in the in the eastern or uh, in the middle east i think and it's uh the statue falls oh, i can't remember whatever this is Oh, yeah, another one you're talking about. All I can say is that part of the statue almost fell into the pit and almost squished a a viola player. That's what... That's all they do. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I well, uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. I uh, I uh, wish you guys all the luck, and I, I want you to come up to Canada and uh, and play some shows. And I mean, is there any you have a, love to. you have any tours uh, thing coming up? Any shows? So we so that was kind of the last piece of the puzzle. I, I kept pushing off like the idea of trying to book stuff until the record was finished and out, um, just because. It, again the problem with everyone having jobs is it's difficult yeah. but that that being said we're all very um, motivated to get out there we just have to do the right thing so we recently been chatting with the booking agents and uh, that's going to take a huge load off my back and hopefully get on some you know pretty good shows we just we, we could play in san diego more often and play around southern california but i think since we all have been out to places like Toronto and Eastern Canada. And, you know, those seem a lot more interesting and fun for us. So we were hoping to get out, you know, further, um, this year. So we'll, we'll be up there for sure. Amazing. Okay. Well, thanks for, thanks for doing the, sh- uh, the show and, uh, I will, we will talk again. Absolutely. Sam. It was a pleasure. Thanks a lot, man. And that was Brian Wallstrom of the band God's Amount Olympus. It was fun. It was fun. I, I really like doing episodes with people I don't know. Does that make sense? I like doing it because I get to, get to meet people. That's why I do the podcast, so I can meet people. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening to this episode. Don't forget to go to betterhealth.com slash and sign up for a seven-day free, uh, seven free trial where you can get affordable private online counseling anytime and anywhere. Yeah, go there. Okay. Thanks everybody for shopping on Amazon. Thanks to the patrons and thanks to going to uh, the shop and buying stuff and all the people that go on iTunes and thanks for keeping the show in the charts for the past couple of weeks. Helpful. I know I haven't been as uh, vocal on Facebook as I could be lately, but I have been super duper 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 busy with my new job, being a technical director and all. It takes time. Okay? So next week, I don't know who I got next week. You know why? Because I haven't recorded one yet. Okay? So I can't tell you who's next week. But I do know that it's going to be somebody, and they're going to be funny and witty and insightful. It's going to be a great week. Everybody have a wonderful week. We'll see you again back here where I will be talking and you will be laughing. Have a good one, everybody. Bye.